favorite cabbage if you're new around here hi there my name is Lagato and if you aren't new then welcome back patch doll all right hello lovelies and welcome back to it last episode which was on the first week of january we spoke about my favorite book so far, which was Stephen Chbosky's The Perks of Being a Wallflower. By the way, if I keep saying Stephen Chbosky's name wrong, Chbosky, I am sorry. I'm really trying. Um, but if you missed that or any of the other nine episodes which I've done so far, then please feel free to check them out or maybe favorite it, bookmark it, subscribe to it, download it or whatever else you can do to not miss any of my next uploads depending on whatever app it is you're using. And while you're at it, please do share the link to episodes which you liked with your friends and family and let us grow this little cabbage garden, please. Okay, so today I am still trying to figure out what sound works the best because when I listened to this podcast on another device, it sounded okay and then when I tried it out on another device, it actually sounded very low. So I'm just trying to adjust sound levels so that I can be audible um, across as many devices as possible. Um, So if there's any other kind of complaints or any constructive constructive criticism you can perhaps give me and you can reach out to me then please please do so patch dolls as we're really trying to grow um like i said our little garden our little cabbage garden um and have as many patch dolls as possible and have me as your leader your one true cabbage okay i'm sorry i'm going on a rant we're about to start today's episode so i'm just gonna put a little interlude here and we can actually get started. All right. All right. Now, today, Patch Dolls, I have a treat for you. It is the first time I will actually be reviewing a book which I actually did not like. I know that's a spoiler, but I mean, I preface all the other episodes by saying that, hey, I absolutely love this book, or hey, I found this book interesting, or whatever, so you listen to this knowing full well that I actually didn't like it. And because of that, and a reason I will specify shortly, this is actually going to be a double review where I talk about two books. They are unrelated to each other, but they made me feel the same way. Now, while we're here... I want to explain quickly why I've been gone for an extra two weeks than what I had initially set out. Right, so what had happened was I got this book, right, from a patch doll. Shout out to you, Weiwei, if you're listening, and thank you so much for gifting me the book, my lovely. Um, so Weiwei gave me a book called Normal People by Sally Rooney, and I went about reading it. She gave me another book, actually, which was called Three Women by Lisa Tadeo, which is another book that I will actually be doing next week. I've already started reading it, so expect that review next week. Um, okay, back to my unsolicited explanation. 
I read this book, right? And I was sort of intrigued at first. And then I soon realized that it's actually the kind of book that I do not particularly enjoy. And then I tried reading it further and my suspicions were confirmed. And it reminded me of another book called An Abundance of Catherines by John Green, which I also did not like for similar reasons. So I decided to take these two extra weeks to firstly try to finish both books, despite my distaste for them, and try to comprehend review for both of them hence my delay with this episode all right so all of that admin aside me having to read the books you know force myself to read the books and actually get a comprehensive review even though I didn't like these is actually what took me um long to actually get this episode out all right let's get to it let's start with Sally Rooney's normal people so this book is one about two people Connell and Marianne, who are teenagers that we follow from their teenagers into their tertiary schooling years as they figure themselves out. Now, the place where I get most of my synopses, like I said in the previous episode, that I don't actually write my summaries myself because, I mean, the rest of this is myself, what I feel and what I think about the book. So... Yeah, the synopsis, honestly, I just read from elsewhere. Okay, so where I got this information, it says, The novel follows the complex friendship and relationship between two teenagers, Connell and Marianne, who both attend the same secondary school in County Sligo in Ireland, and later Trinity College in Dublin. It is set during the post-2008 Irish economic downturn. Connell is a popular, handsome, and highly intelligent secondary school student who begins a relationship with the unpopular yet intimidating and equally intelligent Marianne, whose mother employs Connell's mother as a cleaner. Okay, Connell, popular, Marianne, unpopular. Connell's mom, poor, she's a cleaner. Marianne's mom, rich. She employs Cornell's mom. Okay, we caught up? Good. So, Cornell keeps the affair secret from school friends out of shame, but ends up attending Trinity with Marianne after the summer after, oh sorry, but ends up attending Trinity with Marianne after the summer and reconciling. So reconciling for, um, and asking apologies for keeping their affair or relationship, whatever it is, a secret from his friends back in high school. Okay. Well, of Marianne blossoms at university, becoming pretty and popular, while Cornell struggles for the first time in his life to fit in properly with his peers. The pair weave in and out of each other's lives across their university years, developing an intense bond that brings to light the traumas and insecurities that make them both who they are. All right. Now, like I said initially, I took a long while trying to finish this book, and that was for two reasons. Firstly, I absolutely abhor leaving books in the middle because of all that time that I've already spent reading it. Imagine if I'm going to hate it. Listen, let me hate it knowing fully why I hate it, and let me get some closure for my hatred. I know that doesn't make sense now, but all this time that I've already spent reading it, you better believe I'm going to try by all means to just finish the rest of it, right? And of course, if I like it, then I'll finish it because I'll be captivated. But also, the other thing is, 
the said patch doll who gave me this book is actually a new friend of mine who in this short space of time that I've known her which has been just under a year I realized that we share a lot in common right and we have similar tastes in literature so if she said she liked a book I was sure I would too at some point but my goodness when I was reading it that point did not come yo and then I realized that I genuinely am just torturing myself by forcing myself to finish this so I stopped halfway well okay I stopped 133 pages in which is just about halfway okay so let's start with the good aspects of this book so that if you've always been interested or if maybe I'm only bringing this to your attention now, then you can weigh out if you actually want to try it out or not. I caught wind of the fact that this is also a mini TV series. I'm not really sure where it's available. I've never really heard of it or watched it. But if you know normal people, the TV series, then you might be interested in reading the book and listening to my review or you just like listening to my voice. Or, you actually have no interest in this book. But just keep listening. Okay. <laughs> Alright, let's go. So, firstly, this is a pretty well-written book. It's very easy to read, but not juvenile. It doesn't feel like you're reading um, something for kids or something for a young audience. Okay, wait. It doesn't feel mature, but it also doesn't feel like dumbed down. It's just okay, right? But it's an easy read. It's also not too long or too short. The storyline is extremely easy to follow. An interesting thing about the style of writing, though, is that it's very much um, episodic with scenes that follow each other um, being jumps from past to present. But in a very unique way, man. Like, let me make an example. If someone was narrating my life right now, the way that Sally Rooney narrated normal people, they would say that I'm sitting and recording a podcast episode, right? That would be the present. That would be like a chapter and so on. I mean, it wouldn't be a full chapter, but you know what I mean. And then the next thing would be the part, okay, the past would be them explaining that I started reading the book in January and didn't seem to like it. Now, that would be like the whole premise of the second part of this chapter, right? Which is now the past. Then the next chapter would maybe be them explaining that I'm possibly getting heated in my recording, which is in the present. And then explain later on in the chapter that I got furious while reading the book because of the plot holes, which was in January. Okay, so it skips back and forth while continuing forth with the story. I hope that makes sense. Like, it's a very nice experience, I won't lie. It's something that you read and it doesn't, it doesn't confuse you. You know, you, you as the reader are sure of what is happening, when it's happening, and to who. Whatever it is that's happening, it's happening right you aren't confused just because it's going from past to present and it's not a far to the past and far to the future it's sort of it's explaining what's happening in the present and then giving the reasons while explaining somewhat of the past it's it's, it's nice just just trust me reading it is nice okay it's nice <laughs> okay Next thing is, it also feels very believable. Like, these are instances, so the instances in the book are instances of things that would happen to everyday normal people. And I think for that reason, the title is very suitable, it's normal people. However, here is where my issue starts. Okay, listen. 
You know when you watch those abominable shows like The Real Housewives of various areas of like Johannesburg or Potomac or wherever, The Real Housewives or whatever, or you watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians or The Westbrooks, right? That is classified as reality TV, but it's hardly reality. Also, I said these are abominable shows, but I watch them too. It's all of our guilty pleasure, but we all know that they're trash. So, yeah, we're not getting into that right now. <laughs> okay. So, why am I saying they're hardly reality? They wake up, put on heavy makeup, and go take pole dancing classes. Or how to cook Italian dishes classes. Or go pull on each other's hair or spill cocktails on each other. And swear at each other and gossip about each other. Listen, they do things which if you, the lay individual, had to encounter on a daily basis would be far too much to handle while also tackling the suffocating system that is capitalism, right? And another thing, these um, episodes, right, in one episode, you will see that it encompasses what ranges from days to weeks squashed into one episode so then it is entertaining to consume these people therefore become celebrities in our eyes because they are far removed from what we classify as reality there's reality your normal banal life there are holidays and vacations your life but better and then there are celebrities lives what you'll never reach in life is basically what they are right so it's like it's a reality show but not really reality it's for your entertainment Okay, let's take another kind of reality show, for example. Big Brother, Love Island, X on the Beach, Are You the One? All those shows, like Geordie Shore. Those shows have more content that is derived from shorter spaces of time. And especially these ones like um, Love Island, X on the Beach, and Are You the One, right? And Big Brother actually pushing it to the extreme of live streaming their content. However, what the people on these shows are facing is also not a typical person's life. You aren't typically made to share a house with 20 other people of a similar age. Imagine you're all 23 sitting in a house full of people your own age, fighting about petty things. You're all going through the same things. That's not anyone's typical life experience, right? You're not typically made to share a house with like a whole lot of other people your age while having a camera in your face, a microphone that hears everything, even your whispers and challenges or dates or other such activities that keep you entertained and entertaining, right? So what I'm getting at is even reality television is never just snippets of tedious daily encounters and activities and relatable lived experiences. So take this and translate it to literature right? When I'm reading an autobiography, a fanfic, magic realism, whatever, I need to be entertained or educated, surprised, horrified, moved, whatever. I just need to have some sort of change in my life. I can't consume a piece of literature that adds nothing to my life. And so starts the tale of why I could only read 133 pages of this book in three weeks, okay? Let's go. Sally Rooney, if this book is my only reference to go by, can write well. The characters are very believable, but their storyline is too, right? But to a disturbingly unentertaining extent. Let's dissect this. Firstly, I said Cornell is a popular athlete, with the entire school either being friends with him, acquaintances with him, 
or just plain admiring him. He's very attractive. He hangs out with the obnoxious friend group of popular kids. He is literally the epitome of every stereotype to exist of such a character, all in one character. But maybe you can say, uh, uh, there's a twist, whatever. He's not from a Wallow family. Okay, they suffer financially and socially because everyone in town apparently views them as being the lower class trash of the town, except him. If you read the book, you realize that they regard his family as trash, except him. So basically, Cornell is the insufferable apple of the town's eye, but because he's nice and hangs out with trash, oh, he's nice and hangs out with trash people, but we have to gloss over the insufferable part and the hanging out with trash people part because like i said he's nice he's an athlete and he's handsome right so it's like okay that literally sounds like every other character who's like him they usually have like all these things going for them but they have something wrong with their lives i.e they've got a dark past they've got a parent who i don't know is not good to them or whatever it's still following the stereotype okay let's move on from Connell. The second main character is the quiet girl who is always keeping to herself and does not care what the world thinks of her. She's from a rich family and lives in a mansion. And this is public knowledge to the people at school. Now, I always see this in movies and wonder if that actually really does happen in real life. Like, do people in schools genuinely know who in their school is very rich and what kind of house that person lives in? I mean, I went to a very small school where everyone knew everyone else, at least by name. But... I didn't even know the financial status of the people in my grade unless they were my friends, which sort of makes sense because we talk about these things. But now to be known as the quiet one by the whole school and the one who's also very rich and everyone knows you live in a mansion. What? Does that actually happen? Like, okay, listen, don't get me wrong. That's not part of my issue with the book. I'm just pointing that out because I see it happening very often in just media or like movies or series or books it's like a a common trope and i've just never found that believable anyway whatever aside from all of this that i can just say i just said you can tell that marianne is not a stereotype right but still that's all there is to her she's just the girl who doesn't care about everyone else's perception of her and connell is just the popular kid They go to university, they switch roles, and that's the end of the book. No, really. Nothing happens. Like, there's no gripping storyline. The things that happen to them are far too normal. Their experiences feel almost like anti-climaxes. And listen, I've engaged with literature before that is purposefully filled with anti-climaxes. Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot, for example. But that even feels intentional, right? The entire point of that play is the pointlessness of things that happened in life, right? The whole message behind the play is existentialism and the futility of life right but then with this one their lives have meaning they have aspirations they move past certain points in their lives and onto new ones but still nothing happens so it's not like the point is to show that there's no point in life there is a point to their lives but still nothing happens it's almost as if someone is writing about like fiction but restricting it so much that they are confused or that you as the reader are confused whether it's fiction or not. There's no build-up. The storyline is just a long, flat line, and I just... oh, What is that book? What is that book? 
And listen, even with autobiographies, like I said, I read an autobiography. Check out my um, review of Born a Crime. <laughs> There's um, an event, right? There's something that happens in that person's life that makes them write the autobiography. People write books about their lives when there's something big or major that has happened in their lives. There's a build-up. Like, there's, it's like their lives are leading up to that one moment, right? And that thing happens and either it builds them and hence the rest of the book and they're motivating you or they crumble down and maybe hence the rest of the book where it's like, and this is why they ended up being terrible people or whatever. There's something that happens. There's a build-up. There's, there's a point it's not just a series of everyday occurrences and anticlimaxes. There's a sort of progression, whether linear or not. Like, even if it's an episodic kind of book, it follows a somewhat linear structure where it's like there needs to be a point. Because then if not, and we're going to go for something that is filled with anticlimaxes and it's cyclic in nature, then let that also be very evident. Don't just write a book about normal people and make it seem like there's going to be something that happens to these people because then they move from certain points to others. But then by the end of the book, still nothing has happened. And I know I didn't get to the end of the book, but I can't get to halfway of a book and still nothing has happened or I'm still not anticipating anything to happen. They have a relationship. They keep it private, whatever. And then it turns out them keeping it private was all futile nonetheless. Like it was like, hmm everyone knew anyway and then they go to varsity and marianne becomes popular still nothing comes of that cornell becomes you know withdrawn and he becomes different but then still nothing comes of that i don't know there's such potential like okay we have this person who has moved from this phase of her life to this one and now maybe this is how she's experiencing being popular because she has also been a loner before and here's this person who was a who was very popular who's now having to be a loner and here's how they're experiencing life i don't know none of that is explored it just feels like you're just following them around they go to parties they sit together they have sexual relations okay Nothing happens. Yo, okay. Now, before I carry on, I did try to get Weiwei to come onto this episode with me so that you could hear all about what she liked about the book, right? But she's sadly not available for this. But if this is any consolation, she absolutely loved the book. And like I said, we have pretty similar tastes in literature. So if you've liked some of the books maybe that I've liked so far, like I've said, oh, I love this book and I reviewed it and you read it and you're like, oh, nice, nice. Then maybe you like this one too. I don't know. Maybe I just have a personal gripe with this particular book and enjoy any other one that's like it. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Now, I also read about um, its reception. How was it received by people? So here it states that overall, normal people received wide acclaim from critics. The novel was long listed for the 2018 Man Booker Prize. It was voted as 2018 Waterstones Book of the Year and won Best Novel at the 2018 Costa Book Awards. In 2019, the novel was long listed for the Women's Prize for Fiction. In the same year, it was ranked 25th on The Guardian's list of the top 100 best books of the 21st century. Before I carry on. Before I carry on. Before I carry on. 25th of the 21st century. Okay. 
let's just apart from the fact that there's like 79 more years of the 21st century nah, let's just think about the 21st century so far it's been 21 years and in those 21 years this book is number 25 of the best books like the top 100 books uh-uh no 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 what lies no 25th i don't even think it should be on the top 100 but now it's in that oh my days it's in the top 25 percent do you understand like oh my days i can't when i read this i was like no no it shouldn't what okay anyway Carrying on, it says here, media in Ireland described the book as polemic, noting that Rooney has described herself as a Marxist and that the book features discussions um, about the Communist Manifesto document and the Doris Lessing's feminist novel, The Golden Notebook. Now, you know when a piece of literature alludes to another? Like, for example, when you read... Um, oh, what book was that? Oof, now I've forgotten. Okay. There's a book which references uh, Robert Frost's poem about nothing gold stays. And it's a book that people do in high school. I mean, I know we did it in high school. Was it The, the Outsiders? Oof. Okay, fellow bookworms, I'm sorry. If you know what book I'm talking about, please just don't shout in frustration. I'm sorry, I forgot them. But you know how they they reference um Robert Frost's um Nothing Gold Stays. Wait, does it say nothing gold stays? Or nothing oh wait, not all that not all that letters is gold. Or something like that. Ah, okay, yeah, whatever. Just because that poem is in that book doesn't mean that book features discussions of that poem, right? And I feel like this is what's happening here. Them saying this book features discussions about the Communist Manifesto document. No, it doesn't. No, it does not. This boring book about nothing. Having discussions about the Communist Manifesto. Please, please, let's laugh with me. Laugh with me. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm being harsh, but I really did not like this book. Okay, I just didn't. Okay, furthermore, it says Caroline E. Tew of the Harvard Crimson listed it as one of the 10 best books of the 2010s and wrote, The prose is so clean and readable, it's almost as if you're reading your own thoughts. And this book, oh, and this is a book that simultaneously hurts to read and demands to be devoured in one day. I won't even dissect that. I just, I won't. But where it says it as if you're reading your own thoughts. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Listen to my review of the perks of being a wallflower if you have not. Do that right now. Okay. Do that right now. And that is how you write a book where it seems like you are talking about your own thoughts. That's how you write a book where you're reading your own thoughts. You're reading someone's thoughts, but it seems so personal. It sounds so good this one where they're telling the story in third person 
Not even first person removed. Straight third person. Oh, my days. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Patch Dolls. I, I don't know. This book. Marianne went to a party with whoever, whoever. And then at this party, she was being bullied. And then, like, Connell came and they looked at each other. Are you kidding me? What? No. Apparently, Entertainment Weekly Rises ranked the book as the 10th best of the decade. Once again, let's... Whatever. With Seija Rankin writing, both of Sally Rooney's novels capture the millennial ethos with raw honesty and impeccable insight. But what she broke ground with in conversations with friends, she perfected in normal people. Right. That is my cue to never read conversations with friends. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) But then also it says it captures the millennial ethos. Which are, what are these millennial ethos? Please riddle me this. Because, you know when people write about a generation that is not theirs? About an experience that they went through long ago, right? It sounds so inauthentic. Here we have a book where a half of the characters, because Connell and his squad are all stereotypes. Listen, Rachel, I think, is one of Connell's friends. She's the very definition of a stereotypical mean girl. Like, when you watch Mean Girls, that movie was a trendsetter. But Rachel is then based on those characters. It's almost like she encompasses all the characters on Mean Girls into one. Like, it doesn't feel authentic, right? So Connell's half stereotypes. So it's, it doesn't capture any millennial or whatever. It's just pure stereotypes. Moving on. Marianne's side is just people who are edgy. Eh, you know, I'm alone. Uh, I'm alone. Edgy. Oh, I don't care. I mean, like, listen, I know people don't care, right? I personally don't care about what people think about me. Like, I really don't. Okay, I do. But, like, to a lesser extent than what I used to. So I get, I get that. Like, I get that that happens. But then to write a book and be like, okay, here's one half which is just stereotypes and then the other half are just edgy and misunderstood. And then to say it captures the millennial ethos, which are? So the the millennial ethos are either being stereotypical teenagers or being edgy. And actually, while we're on that, this is a different rant. But I just want to say to like just generally like i'm just commenting on this in literature this trend in literature it's almost as if they can't write about characters that aren't extremes right we have this we always have to have characters the characters who are edgy they'll be e-girls right and listen e-girls exist the eagle aesthetic it's nice i also like it but like these characters are always extremities, right? So it's like, yeah, she doesn't care what anyone else thinks. She sits alone all the time. She doesn't have any friends. That, to me, sounds like someone who's depressed, not who's edgy. Even edgy people who wear black all the time, wear tattoos, wear choke. Okay, wait, I have tattoos now I'm saying that. <laughs> okay, wait, but like... Who have chokers and all these things and like wear dark lipstick. Even those people who are 
permanently within the goth or grunge aesthetic. They have friends. To live is to be sociable, right? Socializing with people is the very meaning of existing. Otherwise, then you get sad, you get alone. We call that depression. That is, that is what it's called. It's called sadness. But like they always put it in such a glorified manner. Yeah, she sits alone. She doesn't have friends. She doesn't do anything that anyone else does. She could hardly sell tickets. At some point in the book, she sells tickets for some party thing that they're doing. She could hardly sell tickets without everyone just staring and gawking at her. That's not a normal life. It's not millennial ethos. It's not capturing someone who's raw. It's glamorizing sadness. It's glamorizing people who are trying so hard to be on the far end of what is now mocked. Because also, normal teenagers, let's be honest... Things that normal teenagers do are heavily, heavily made to be seen as cringe, right? So people who try to remove themselves as far away from that as possible so that they don't seem cringe, then they end up on the other side of the spectrum where they just end up sad. People waste their teenage years being sad. And this is something that actually bothers me because a lot of people that I know regret wasting their teenage years on sadness. This is a very real topic. It's like... You're just sad, constantly, annoyed, aggravated, irritated. You're wasting, especially your latter teenage years, annoyed at the world, angry at the world. And then when you get the opportunity to move past that stage in your life, you sort of look at other kids who are that age, but now you're past that age, and they look like they're having fun, and you're like, wow, I wish I had done that, right? Or I wish I had enjoyed that. Like this thing of Visco Girls, for example. Like they look... It, it it's made to be such an annoying thing. Like when they go, what is it? I don't know how they do it. Or like hold hydro flasks and whatever and have stickers on their bags. Why not? Why not? Why not laugh the way you want to laugh and drink water out of an overpriced bottle of water if you want and have stickers and everything. If that makes you smile in the morning, that that makes you smile in the morning. Kids are forced so much to go to the opposite extreme to just show that, listen, I'm not the typical this. And they end up being the typical rebel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, oh, okay, listen, I know that I'm going off on a tangent right now. And this is completely not about the book. But I'm just saying that we need to maybe, as a society, think about that. Like, that kids are always... In literature, that's why it's always like that. In literature, if it's not this stereotype, it's such an extreme opposite that it then becomes a stereotype of the other one, the other end. A stereotype of someone who's isolated, someone who's sad, someone who wants to be edgy but is actually not edgy and is just facing sadness and being downtrodden most of the time. Like, I'm going off on such a tangent right now, but please just think about that. Just think about that, okay? Just think about that. I even forgot at some point that I said I'm gonna be <laughs> that I'm gonna be talking about John Green's An Abundance of Catherine's. Oh my days. Okay. Let's get to it. Um, why does this book remind me of John Green's An Abundance of Catherine's? Please just don't mind my rant. Um, let me actually put a musical interlude here and then get back to you with the abundance of Catherine's part, just so that it's easier to consume if it's more organized. All right.
see you on the other side of the second like the one second that's gonna pass between this and then you know what yeah just see you on the other side of the second okay i'm gonna start saying that see you on the other side of the second So, An Abundance of Catherines is John Green's young adult story about a guy who only wants to date Catherines with a K. I feel like that's not that many Catherines. I mean, in the grand scheme of Catherines, like if we have to have Catherines as like a pie chart, and then Catherines with a K might not exactly be 50%, but maybe with a C comes like maybe 60% and then like well the K is a little bit less I don't know but like whatever he only dates Catherine's with a K now let me just give you a mini synopsis and then I'll tell you what I liked about it didn't whatever um it's just going to be this is going to be a very short review of the book it's not going to be as in depth as normal people and you'll see why Alright, so An Abundance of Catherines by John Green is based around Colin, a child prodigy and a wannabe genius who only seems to want to date date girls named Catherine. However, each Catherine he has ever dated has dumped him, or so he believes. Heartbroken by being dumped by K-19, who is actually Catherine number 19, his best friend Hassan plans a trip which will change Colin's whole outlook on love, relationships and life just by the way where this guy found 19 other catherines to date can we just start there like what i know like a total of four people called cat in my life and they're not even catherine they're all short for katleho but still like hi bo okay in this book um oh this is a review that someone wrote by the way it's not completely me No, it's not me at all. It's just a review that someone wrote. It says, in this book, I really liked how Colin's first intentions for going on a trip was for him to find his eureka moment, which would prove to people that he really was a true genius. But as the story progressed, he started to change and become a better person. He began to realize that the world wasn't revolved around him and he had to be there for people who cared about him, even if it meant being stung by a swarm of hornets to protect Hassan. Finally, what I loved most was that at the end, when Colin learned he didn't need a Catherine or theory to be happy. What? Let me just read that again. (laughs) Finally, what I loved most was that at the end, when or was that at the end, Catherine... Colin learned that he didn't need a Catherine or theory to be happy. Right. Although I thought it was a great plot, it would not be very appealing to someone who gets confused with the simplest equations in mathematics as the novel does include a rather complicated theorem which is to show how long a relationship will last. Luckily, if you really wanted, you could skip them out. But to me, it makes it even more realistic. Overall, I really enjoyed the book because it was like I was having a life lesson. Colin's theory would only reveal the past and could not show the future. So we learn that we don't know who we will become as the future is unpredictable and we're always changing. I would score this book an 8 out of 10 because I know I have learned something from this book and because it was just an enjoyable book to read. Okay, this theory that this person is talking about, he develops a theory, basically, uh, Colin, about um, 
like his chances of being able to make it work with someone called Catherine, right, is basically the whole point of that whole theory. But I really don't think it's such a great aspect of the book that without it, you won't understand what's happening. Anyway, now, this book is funny, I won't lie. And that's the entertaining aspect of it, right? At some point in a conversation with the main character, for example, um, the main character... um gets genuinely confused when someone says their family owns a factory that makes tampon strings and he wonders why tampons even have strings, right? Like it's it's just young people trying to understand the world in themselves. So it's juvenile, right? It's like they're going on a journey where they're trying to find themselves. He's trying to find out, wait, why do I, can I never make it work with Catherine's? But then he's trying to find himself and like he's a genius and whatever else. But here's my problem. I read it at a pretty late point in my life. So it's made for high school kids, right? Had I read it then, I would have probably enjoyed it. But by the time I read it, it added nothing to my life. It added very minimal entertainment in the form of sporadic comedy. I read, though, that this book is popular with adults, which then after reading it, I was confused by what exactly was captivating many more adults than teenagers about it. So let me just clarify. I knew about this book in high school. I didn't read this book in high school. But when I was looking for books to read, it was recommended and was recommended for people who are older, like adults. And that's why I read it, right? But then after reading it, I was like, this is so young. This is so... It's... Oh, it, it's very, it's a teenager finding his way through life. I don't necessarily want to read about that. And this sounds so, so hypocritical, especially because I said my favorite book was The Perks of Being a Wallflower. But that appealed to me. This one is just like, I don't know. I maybe, I just maybe hate this book for no apparent reason. It's a funny book. Don't get me wrong. Actually, I would recommend that you try it out. And I actually did read and finish it, but it didn't add much to my life is basically what i'm saying and once again i'm probably still on my way to finding out what kind of literature i enjoy the most and i'll stumble along the way but i was really confused about what could possibly be appealing to this to adults and okay here's like my rationalization for it i was like okay maybe it's like with me and charlie and the chocolate factory the movie so i read the book charlie and the chocolate factory by roald dahl when i was 10 years old and thoroughly enjoyed it then but i'd never read it now it's far too juvenile there's songs in there there's pictures listen it's, it's a whole thing but the movie is so refreshing to me i like to watch it and sing along and feel nostalgic but then again maybe that's it right? I'm feeling nostalgic because it reminds me of younger me and what I used to enjoy and the songs I would randomly sing to myself at that age. So now when you are reading an abundance of Catherine's as an adult, what nostalgia is that inducing exactly? Or am I missing something? Because clearly large groups of people who are adults enjoy this book. So is it for nostalgia? Like, if not, then for the weak comedy? If not, then for what? I I don't understand what is the appeal with adults with that book. If you're younger and reading and wanting to read that book or you're very much into young people books, books that appeal to people between like grades 9 to 11, then yeah, definitely you'll like this book. Older than that, eh, 
I don't know. Personally, I really don't see what would be appealing to you about that. Anyways, that's it for today's episode, my lovelies. I have already started reading Three Women. Like I said, so I'll definitely be back again next week and be back more regularly. Please, please remember to share this episode. Pretty please. And also, because this episode took the most out of me um, to make, please do share it, like I said. And if you're new here, hi. Hi there. Um, please do check out my reviews of The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which I did last time by Stephen Chbosky. Cut by Patricia McCormick. Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Or the two-part review of On Beauty by Zadie Smith. The other episodes that I have are not necessarily book reviews. One, the welcome episode is actually a play review. So check that out if you'd like. I actually want to do another play um, in a few, like a few episodes from now. But we'll see how that goes. Other than that, please do stay safe out there, patch dolls. Take care of you and yours. Keep hydrated in the summer heat and read a book or two. We will meet again next week. Bye.